Good morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are mindful as we learn from these lessons and carols that you relate to us personally in ordinary ways that make all the difference. That you've come in the person of your Son to live among us. And so we're grateful. We ask that the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight and bring us closer to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm walking along Central Park with Ezra, and he's this tall. He's five years old, and his hair is this tall. And we're walking along and enjoying the day. The sun is shining. The leaves are out. The season has just changed. It's, a, it's warm enough to be without a coat. And the smells are in the air from the trees in Central Park beginning to have their leaves come out. But I notice that I'm not with my son. I'm with someone who leaves tall buildings in a single bound. I'm with somebody who can run faster than a locomotive. In full tights, red and blue, red cape, hair this high, I'm with Superman. And the reason I know this is because the people who are driving by recognize him. Roll down the window and say, hey, Superman, and without, without missing a beat, Ezra says, hey. And that happened for our entire walk. In Central Park, along Central Park, up our street, people recognize Superman in five-year-old shoes. When we examine all of the things that we just heard, we realize that it's about God who wears five-year-old shoes. The God who's comfortable coming as a baby, coming into our mess as human beings, and being one of us. And so this morning I wanted to share this, that God relates to us personally through ordinary moments. And I'm going to share some of my life and some of the ordinary moments where God has revealed himself to me. So you get to see how he works. So you get to hear some of the excitement of the way that he's brought me along in life through the good news that we just celebrated in song, in reading, in prayer. I don't know how much of this now, a lot of the meetings that I've had with you have been a blur, but I've shared a lot with the search committee and some of the leaders. I'm not sure if I've shared with you this, that my life, particularly in high school, after my mom died at 14, was incredibly broken. I had a credibly broken environment that I lived in. And I won't go into details here, but it was such that if I were to go to the refrigerator, I would see the food isolated in bags with everyone's name written on it but my own. And so there was nothing to eat. Or if I would go to the washer machine in the dryer and try to wash my clothes, I would find signs on them saying that I couldn't use them to wash my clothes. Or I would, uh, I would risk being grounded, risk being you know, put into my room and I'd have to stay there. Or I'd go to ask somebody a question and I would see on the chalkboard in our front door that the, the rules of the house were that no one were allowed to, was allowed to talk to me. So there's an incredibly broken situation that I come from. 14 to 18, and I left home when I was 18. What Anne-Marie said earlier before the service started was that I did come. The genesis of my life came 
from a very loving Christian family. My mom, her parents, her sister. And I came to know the Lord, but they didn't understand what it took to grow in faith. So what I saw them do, I took with me through that time. I read the Bible and I prayed. And God was there in those ordinary means through prayer and the Bible when I felt utterly alone. I felt utterly isolated. And I felt like I had no friend. One of the biggest things that, one of the biggest ways that Jesus revealed himself to me in those times was as friend. Especially as I left that situation and began to put myself through college and began to be on my own in the world and try to figure out what it meant to be a part of him, to have him be a part of me, but live in a way that made a difference. I didn't know. I had zero what they call discipleship. I knew how to read the Bible and I knew how to pray. So, one of the, coming from the background that I did, one of the important aspects of friendship that God was able to show to me was that he had my back. And he did this in ordinary ways. I remember waiting tables in Back Bay, Boston, at a trendy restaurant that served great seafood. And we wore funky shirts. And I was there late one night, and I had made a ton of cash, 250 back when I was in college. That's a good night. And I had to walk from the restaurant to Park Street Station. And the thing that happens in Boston that doesn't happen in New York is the subway system shuts down. So I got there, and the last train had just left. And there are no cabs on the road at this time of night. And so I went down towards where I thought I could find a payphone where Filene's basement used to be. And it was dark, and there were narrow streets like the streets in Philadelphia. They're old streets. And I found a payphone. And I called my roommate saying, you know, I think it's one in the morning at this time. Can you come and get me? I lived eight miles outside of town. I just finished work. I have a lot of cash on hand. There's no, I missed the train. And he was from Brazil. And he said, dude, man, no, you, I can't. And he had this whole thing going on. So he's, he wasn't going to come and get me. So I was on the phone with him, and I had just used my last quarter. This is before smartphones or cell phones even. I had to use the payphone, And uh, I was out of quarters. I had used my last call, and a big suburban kind of vehicle pulls up and makes a quick, tight turn right in the alleyway across from the payphone that I'm at. And it screeches to a stop, and two big guys get out, and they start walking towards me like this. And I've got 250 bucks in my pocket. And I've got nothing. I've got, I've got nothing. So I'm praying. And they're literally, if you look at this table in front of me, and that I'm behind the payphone, the table is the payphone, they're literally right here, and I'm praying, and what do you think happened? A cab came out of nowhere, stopped right there, and I flagged it, and I got in the other side, and the guys were like, and they were foiled. The Lord had my back. You fast forward a few years, I woke up 10,000 feet on the north face of Pikes Peak in Colorado. And I'm gasping for air. And I can't breathe real well. And I kept falling back asleep and I woke up and I was gasping for air. And this thought came right through my head. It was as loud and plain as day, pulmonary edema. Lord, I don't know what that means, but it sounds pretty bad. I should get to the hospital, huh? So I got up at 3 in the morning, and I got in my truck, and I was 35 minutes from the nearest civilization. 
So I drove 35 minutes, and I'm gasping for breath. And there's nothing open but a, a sort of all-night 7-Eleven. And I pull in, and I come, and I talk to the clerk, and I say, I think I need a hospital. I think something's happening with my lungs. And uh, I said, where's the nearest hospital? And he said, 45 minutes into the nearest city. And at 3 in the morning, there was a woman at the counter checking out. And she said, you know what? I'm headed there now. Follow me. The Lord had my back. And I went to the hospital. And sure enough, I had not only had altitude sickness, but my lungs were starting to... There were, there were some problems going on. So they were able to take care of me. But not only does the Lord have my back, he's there in ordinary ways in struggles too. I have the same struggles that you do. In New York, I was on the subway, and uh, all of Manhattan was on the subway at this point in time. And we stand like this. And it was a particularly frustrating morning. It's one of those mornings where you get out of bed and you try to just go to work. And everything sort of falls down. And you can't get things to connect. And you feel so frustrated. And so I'm on the subway like this with the rest of Manhattan. And this angry woman bursts in. And she, she's hitting people and shocking them with the shoulders. And she's swearing. And she's sort of there. And the door's closed. And we're all like this. And we're trying to deal with her. And, and she's, you know, and I'm frustrated. I'm getting more and more frustrated. And this next part... I'm not proud of, but I put my hand on her jacket, on her arm, and I said in more colorful terms than I should say here on a Sunday, if you don't stop complaining, get off the train. What do you think she did? She took a swing in my head. <laughs> and I, uh, I had had enough kung fu at that point to sort of, you know, I could, I could not get hit, right? So there we are, and she's hitting in my head, and I'm not getting hit. And I'm like, what's going on? And I'm frustrated. And Jesus, Jesus welled up in me in the brokenness of that moment. And I realized what to do. And I said, stop! And she went. And I said, I'm sorry. I've had a tough morning, too. I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. Would you please forgive me? I was wrong. And she, she, her shoulders dropped. And she bowed her head, and she said, yeah, okay, all right. And I said, you know, and the people just got off the subway, and so the seat that opened. I said, can I help you to a seat? You want to sit down and get some composure? Is there anything else I can do? Anybody else you want to talk to? And it changed things. My own instinct was to maybe do more than defend. But Jesus reminded me that he loves his enemies. And he's there for those who persecute him. And so in a similar way, I was able to be there and show Jesus in an ordinary way. Stop. Forgive me. I was wrong. So I've gotten to know Jesus as he's had my back. I've gotten to know Jesus in my struggles. What do I think about Jesus as I've gotten to know some of you at Liberty? What is he talking to me about? How is he meeting me in these ordinary events that we have, meetings that we have, dinners that we have, conversations that we have? Well, I've seen this. I've known you through your pastoral search committee. And in them, 
I've seen the own desperation that's in my own heart. That we are desperate for one another and for Jesus to work in one another. That there's no possible way that we can see enough of ourselves without each other so that we can grow in the way that we need to grow. So that we can become like our king in the way that we need to become like our king. We need each other. And more than that, we need Jesus. We need to be drawn close to him. We need to know what it likes to relate to him personally. In ordinary ways, in the conversations we have, in serving one another, in giving our lives for one another, life on life, and in the grand ways that we've read about in Scripture, both are true of our God. He is what theologians call transcendent. But he's also imminent. He's among us. He, li- he came to dwell in our midst, and He lives in our midst through His Spirit. And I felt that hunger and that joy in your search committee, in the ordinary things that we did together, set up meetings, plan for what a weekend would look like, share details with one another about who we are and how God has worked in our lives, pray for one another. You know, there's a great prayer at the end of one of our meetings that Jeff King prayed for me, about spiritual warfare. I had said that I was, I've been under attack through this process. And you know what he prayed? He prayed this. He prayed this to our God as we were side by side together at this table, the search committee and I. He prayed, Lord, and protect Scott from the evil one, for he is not the devil's plaything. He's been bought with a price. I needed to hear that. You need to hear that. That's our Lord working through ordinary things. And in your midst. And I've seen that here in you. So I'm on the bus. It's the uh, M11. It goes uh, M10, right? M11. M11 goes up Amsterdam. It is rush hour. My family and I get on. Honor is a baby. Anne-Marie's still recovering from childbirth. Ezra is five, hair this big. And we get on. It's the same deal as the subway. It felt like all of Upper West Side was on this bus. And we're squeezed in, and I got separated from my family in the back of the bus. And one thing you need to know about New York is that nobody talks to one another in public settings. There is a serious personal space thing going on, and especially when you're crammed up against each other like this. So the bus is kind of tense. There's a lot of silence. And this little voice, this little five-year-old voice breaks through from the front of the bus to the back, saying to me, Papa, do you love Jesus? And every head on that bus turned slowly towards me, (laughs) silently. And I look up, and I say, yes, Ezra, I love Jesus. And he says, I do too. (laughs) And everybody's shoulders fell, and everybody sighed and exhaled, and there were a few chuckles throughout the bus, and it was a much better ride. This Advent, this Christmas, what I want you to do, like the Lord has done through these stories that I've shown you, is look for the ordinary ways to show the reason for the hope that you have. 
Look for the ordinary ways to proclaim his greatness. As you're running around trying to do last-minute Christmas shopping and somebody cuts you off and you're just discombobulated, remember that the Lord is the Lord of those ordinary moments and he wants to meet you in them. In fact, he delights to meet you in them. That's where he's met me for most of my life. And that's where I want him to meet you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are not only infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in your grace, in your being, in your wisdom and power. You are so far above us. You are so transcendent that your glory would make us fall on our face in terror. And yet that is not of all of who you are. Advent points us to the fact that you became imminent. You became one of us. You moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson put it. You've taken on our sorrows. You know what it is to cry. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Hallelujah, that you are a God who weeps for and with your people. And that you are a God who promises that you will not leave us to our own devices. But you have made a way into your presence through the ordering of all things for our benefit. There are times, Lord, when we cannot see that. And we ask instead that you would draw us into your presence and help us to see you more deeply in the ordinary moments and so undergird our faith that we have hope and that we have fullness and that we have rights as your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.